Well, it's it's so good to see all of you. Um, Joel is on a much needed vacation. Uh, so I get to close the series. We've been talking about biblical genres, and we're finishing our biblical genre series uh, today. Um, we were going to end with apocalyptic literature, which Joel did last week, because I said, I don't want that one. Um, <laughs> today, I'm going to do letter, because we have to remember that the Bible is not a book. The Bible is a library. It is not a single book with a through line. It is a library, a, a, a culmination of lots of different ideas, styles of writing, different authors coming from different life experiences over different periods of time. And uh, Joel talked about apocalyptic literature. There's two examples of it in scripture. Uh, there's some apocalyptic literature in Daniel and then Revelation. And it is so removed from our reality and our and our comprehension. It's a genre that wasn't around very long. It was only around for about 400 years. Um, it never really caught on as far as going global because it doesn't translate well across cultures, let alone generations. And so we are really removed from that um, genre of literature, which is why the early church fathers really debated as to whether or not the book of Revelation should be in the Bible. And they went back and forth for a really long time. And eventually they decided it should be in the Bible, but it should be used for worship, but it should not be used for teaching doctrine because people will get confused. Um, and, you know, what did, what did the Westerns do with it? So that's why I was like, Joel, you, you take that one. I will end us with letter because letter is a genre that we understand a lot better. Um, letter is something that we personally understood. Everyone here is old enough of a generation of where you've received a letter in the mail, handwritten by someone you know, and you opened it and it's written out, and you get to read a physical letter. Um, I, I overheard a couple weeks ago Jen and Chris talking, because um, Chris had sent her a written, handwritten snail mail, as we call it now. Uh, thank you for um, the Colossus having us all over you know, for church at their house. And, and, and uh, Jen referred to it as a lost art, right? And, and there is a certain extent that it's a lost art, um, but we, but we still really understand it. We can get our head around letter and we can, um, we can get our head around the different types of letters that exist. So not all letters are from one person to another. Um, in, in the new Testament, there's actually three different kinds of letters. So one is a letter directly from one person to another person, the kind we are the most familiar with. Right. And, and that's the one we're reading today in third John. I wanted to do something that was like really tangible and easy to grasp onto. So I picked the shortest book in the entire Bible. Uh, it's only 14 uh, verses long and it gets really ignored, right? So it doesn't, it doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, so I wanted to hit it for those two reasons. Um, so you have that kind of letter we're familiar with from one person to another, like the one we're going to study today. 
But the Bible also has other kinds of letters. Most of the New Testament is letters. They're not all from one person to another. So you have ones that are written maybe from one to another or one to a group of people, but is intended for a wider audience. So, you know, the gospel Luke and Acts are written to most excellent Theophilus from Luke, but it's intended to be for a wider audience right? It's not only intended. There's not a lot of really specific stuff. There's zero specific stuff about who Theophilus is, the nature of the relationship. There's none, like you get in a lot of the other letters of the New Testament. Um, you have letters that are to a group of people. You know, Paul writing to the church in Corinth or the church in Romans. Um, we often, in our our culture even, we understand this concept of like an open letter. So someone will write an open letter, which means it's, it's put out into public. It's written to a specific group of people, like an open letter to Congress or an up, open letter to uh, this group over here that stands for this cause, an open letter to this, where they want to address something, but it's, it's, but it's a part of the public discourse. So that's what some of those letters are right? So it's kind of like an open letter. So these are the three kinds we have um, to a specific person, to a wider, uh, a wider group, and then to a specific group. And you have to ask different questions. I remember years ago having a discussion about uh, this one verse with this person was saying, well, the Bible says blah, 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 in, in Ephesians. And I was like, did you ever stop to think why Paul, the specific author, wrote that specific instruction to that specific church at that specific time and what was going on there. No, you just took it and threw it on everything for all of time. And that's not the way these are intended to be. Letters are written specifically from one person to another person for a certain reason, right? And why do we write a letter? We write a letter so uh, we want someone to be encouraged. We write a letter to share information right? Um, we write a letter to make a specific point, uh, to just connect with someone relationally. There's lots of different reasons. But this is a writ letter written from one person to another, and there's only four characters in the whole story. But um, first of all, let's talk about who the author of this letter is. So this is John, the Apostle John, um, who was part of that inner circle um, is often re referred to as like Peter, James, and John would do certain things with Jesus, seem to be very close. You know, when uh, John seems to have a really intimate relationship with Jesus, like the other disciples ask John at the Last Supper, like, hey, we want to know who's going to betray him. Hey, John, you ask him. Because, you know, you have some kind of like special close relationship. And John is like leaned up against Jesus's, um, Jesus's chest at a certain point in that, that, um, in that story. Because they're very close. So John has been around for quite a while. He's part of the original. He's, he's OG, you know. He's really part of the original crew that has been around Jesus and he has been there for a long time and he has become a spiritual father. 
So he writes the book of John. He writes the um, first, second, third John, these letters, and then the book of Revelation. Um, we don't know, I don't really know when the book of John was written. There's, there's debate about that. But these books um, were written before he's exiled to Patmos and writes Revelation. But this is still very late in his life. Um, they guesstimate around 85 to 90 AD. So he's an old man when he writes these letters. Um, he's writing to a Greek, to Greek people here. So we all, a lot of times we think of Paul as the one who is like a missionary to the Gentiles. But um, John writes extremely well in Greek. I had friends that would talk about taking Greek classes in college. And one of the things they always studied as an example of like beautifully written Greek is um, the gospel of John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Was God. He was with God from the beginning. The, you know, talk about, and God tabernacled among us, like the, this beautiful prose. So John actually writes to a Greek audience a lot and he is in, in, this, in this state. But think about what's happened at this point. Paul is dead at this point. A lot of the other disciples are already dead at this point. And unlike Paul, who often introduces his letters as Paul the Apostle of blah, 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 John simply starts his letter because in the ancient world, they didn't start with like who the letter was to. They started with who the letter was from. And so it just says the elder. He just calls himself the elder. There's no, there's nothing fancy, but he's the elder statesman. He's been around a long time. He is a father of the church. And a, a lot of times people called him the disciple of love. Like he talks more about love in the gospels and in first John, you know, first John, the famous passage uh, if anyone loves, he is born of God and knows God. Who loves not does not know God because God is love. He's known for his love. So he's this elder statesman, you know, known for his love. A spiritual father who has survived past where a lot of his colleagues and friends have survived. And that takes us to Third John the book of third John shortest document in the Bible. <laughs> I'm like, we can, we can read this one go. And it's not like we're reading a little section. We're reading, um, we're reading a whole book. Well, it's a letter, a short letter. So if you want to turn your Bibles to third John, it's right before revelation. So it's literally before the last book of the Bible. Um, and if you're looking at a digital device, that does not concern you. So I will go ahead and read this. I'm using the NIV version. Um, so it just says the elder, how he introduces himself. To my dear friend, Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health 
and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than hearing that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in doing what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out receiving or accepting in some versions, accepting no help from the pagans, Gentiles. Uh, We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diophatres, who loves to be first, that's an introduction, but Diophatres, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who wants to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. And that's it. That's the whole letter. So what is he writing about? So you write, like I said, you write a letter to share information, connection, encouragement, like what John is doing here. But he's also speaking to a concern. So there's only four characters here. There's John, the author. There's Gaius. Um, and these are all Greek names. We know this is all to the Greek, to Greek people, wherever they are. Uh, Diophatres and Demetrius. Now, Demetrius, he, he gives that little um, introduction, like saying Demetrius is great, and it seems kind of out of nowhere. So the reason is Demetrius is the one who's delivering the letter. So a lot of times if John has someone that he trusts, he'll send someone to deliver the letter. Um, and often the person who delivers the letter has a lot more context for what the letter is about. So uh, I'm blanking on the name of who carried the letter for, for Paul to um, the Romans, if it was Phoebe or Junith, but she would carry the letter and then also like interpret it or explain it to the audience. So there's someone who carries a letter is highly trusted. And so that's why he really goes out of his way to say that Demetrius, this guy is trustworthy. We've tested him out. We've looked at him. And and he's giving a lot of like this qualifiers around him, not only because it's a letter of introduction to someone he doesn't know, but Gaius is obviously concerned about what's going on. 
like John is writing him because this whole situation with diatrophies is really bothering him. Um, and it sounds like it's bothering a lot of the believers in the area. So he's, he spends this whole beginning kind of encouraging him. And um, scholars think that probably Gaius is also older, like along in um, age, which is why he tells him he hopes that he's as, in as good of health, uh, even as your soul is getting along well. The Greek word soul is the word suke, where we get our word psyche. So your internal psyche, your internal world, we hope that your body is as healthy as your internal world. So he's encouraging him. He's also telling him, hey, like, hey, you're doing the right thing. When things get complicated, when there's lots of voices around, when the diophytries of the world are doing things and it seems like it's working, when there are voices around you that are weighing heavily on you, this father of the faith says, you know what? It's okay. Like you're doing the right thing. Others are testifying about it. Like they're, you're witnessed and you're doing the right thing. You may question yourself. You may feel like you're getting old. You may feel like this young whip star, Diophilus is coming up, is like gaining attention and stuff like that. But hey, you are doing the right thing. You are where you need to be. You are doing what you need to do. Just follow in the faith like we showed you and you're going to be okay. So he's starting with encouragement and he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth in verse four. This is a spiritual father who's encouraging his son, who's encouraging and saying, like, I am really encouraged. You may have looked up to me in the past, like I was, I was your spiritual father, but look, I am really proud of you. That is the voice that John, who has had a spiritual father in Jesus, who was taught to pray by Jesus, our father who art in heaven, has now passed this on. But what is he concerned about? This character, Diophytes, who loves to be first. There are so many people who did some messed up stuff in the New Testament, but they are described and not named. This dude is named. He calls him out by name. He says, this dude messed up. What this dude is doing is not okay. Why? Because he loves to be first. And he's obviously a person who's a spiritual leader sometimes. So what he's addressing here is this is an abusive and controlling pastor. Good thing that never happens. <laughs> Loves to be first. He's so off the mark that the most loving disciple has to call them out and stand, him up, stand up against him. A disciple who learned from his master, his spiritual father, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first who had discussions about who is the greatest. And he says that the greatest is the servant of all. This is a person 
in the faith, but not of it because it doesn't match. The fruit doesn't match. This guy is not a spiritual father. He's trying to be a Lord. Noble. He's trying to have the power. He's trying to have the control. And I imagine John would think back to like Matthew 20, where Jesus says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. And John is saying, Diophatries is anti-Christing. I kind of picture this like this is the moment where the kid is having to deal with the bully and dad puts his arm around the kid and pulls him off to the side and talks to him about how to deal with the bully. He's like, you're doing the right thing, kid. It's not you. Like this is this person. They're not dealing with their own junk. And John says, I'm going to come and I'm going to have a conversation. I'm going to come personally because John's presence carries a lot of authority. That moment where we need that from God to pull us aside and just be like, look, it's okay. I'm with you. The situation you're dealing with, it's not okay. And so I need you to remember right now that you like you have learned well and you're reflecting the father's heart and you're trying, you're putting your best effort in. I see that. I value that. And this problem, this isn't, this isn't you. I'm your good father. I would tell you if it's you, you know, I've told you if it's you or not, right? We've, we've had the discussion when it is you, this one's not you. We have a father of the faith here. fathering in a loving way in just a few verses. And he's contrasting Gaius, who he's applauding with Diotrephes, who loves to be first. That's, that's so like harsh and cutting. It's like one of those like lines from a British novel where they like sound like they're not saying much, but they're really like stabbing right to the heart of something. Loves to be first. Oh, just makes me cringe. Like, oh, that's the one that you do not want that said about you in this faith. <laughs> they love to be first, right? It's not what we want. And so he's contrasting it. And it's interesting that when I picked this, I didn't even see like the correlation to Father's Day. (laughs) I was just trying to listen, right? And what came to mind also was what you see in this passage is, um, I, I heard this reference to 1 Corinthians 4, where Paul is lamenting that he says, you have so many teachers but you do not have many fathers. You have so many people that can give you the information, but not many fathers. So in the ancient world, 
when a young boy came to the age of going to uh, schooling to learn certain information, he would go um, and he would study with teachers, the ones who would teach him like mathematics and like history and reading, writing, like all the stuff that you need to know. And then once he reached the apprenticing age, he would leave the teachers and he would go stand at the shoulder of the father and he would learn the father's skill. He would apprentice with the father. The word uh, apprentice and the, and the father in this culture, it meant to stand at the shoulder, shoulder to shoulder, learning the craft, learning the skill, developing what the father knows. And so Paul laments. In one translation, it actually gives an, an, a number the way they translate it. He says, you have 10,000 teachers, but not many fathers. Diophatries, he's a he wants to teach. He wants people to listen to him. But those who are trying to be controlling, you can't stand at their shoulder. You can't learn the family craft. Because this family craft is the craft of love. This family craft is we take care of the brothers and sisters. This family craft, we encourage. We do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. And John's saying, just like you, Gaius, my dear son, you got this. Other people, they, you may question yourself, but I'm hearing about you. And other people are saying, like, you're really putting it in. You're putting in the work. You're trying. And so I'm sending Demetrius to you to, to, to aid in that work. You can see the father's heart. Just a few verses. And I don't think it was anything new to the ancient world. That, that a lot of them did not have the fathers that they needed that they loved, that they served, that they wanted to be around, that those fathers were not present to them. All of the disciples had fathers, but Jesus is the one who taught them to be spiritual fathers. Who has called you over for a moment, put their arm around you, and said, I see what you're doing. I see that you're trying. You're doing the right thing. Keep it up. He's come around and said, yeah, that guy over there, don't imitate that. That's never going to win in, in the long run. In fact, we're going to call it out. Have you ever gotten that chance? 
to have someone stand at your shoulder and say, this is how we do it. This is how we do it in our family. We take it the next step. For some of you, that's been missing. You've missed having that voice in your life. Maybe you had it and it's gone. It's not present with you. Maybe you never really had it in a way that you, you could trust it. But you felt the fathering heart of God. You sung to God and you felt the fathering heart of God that was tender in a way that you hadn't experienced before. The heart of God is incredible in that way to constantly be the welcoming father. To say, listen, come here for a second. I just want to tell you today that I bless you. Because with Gaius, he encourages him and he blesses him. I welcome you. I encourage you. And maybe that's what you need to hear today. You need that voice of the Father as you sing, as we worship, and just saying, I, I see you. I see that you're trying. I know it's hard, but I see that you're doing it again. Don't worry about comparing yourself to them. We got this today. Like just take your next step today. Trust that you're moving toward this today and that it's good. And the voice of the father does that. And then he says, by the way, that kid over there needs to hear it too. Can you go tell him? Can you share with them what I shared with you?